0: I am going to pick up where I left off two Sundays ago, the Sunday before Easter, in my series entitled, Stand. And we are going through the armor of God, and we're reading that section of Scripture where Paul writes and says, we should be clothed with the whole armor of God, having done all to stand. So let me read that verse to you, and we'll continue with that message. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens." For this reason, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the gospel of peace. And in all this, by taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And today's message, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and to this end be alert with all perseverance and requests for all the saints, God's people. So, the fifth piece, in the armor of God, and if you remember back when we began this series, the armor of God is not something to learn about, it's something to do. And in fact, fact, you don't put it on until you do it. You don't put it on by knowing about it, but you put it on by doing it. That's why it says, take up the shield of faith and put on the helmet of salvation. So this fifth piece of armor we're told to put on, taking and putting on the helmet of salvation. All right, I'd like to begin with a thought. If you show up on a football field thinking that it's a soccer game, how many of you, get that picture from your mind, you're probably not going to last to the end of the game. In fact, you show up on a football field for a football game thinking it's a soccer game uh, with your little European shorts and knee socks, you probably aren't going to last through the first play. I'm just kind of seeing that in my mind. So taking the helmet of salvation is all about managing your worldview. Having the right worldview puts you on the field, ready to engage in the game of life with the right gear. 90% of Christianity is all about managing what you see, what you hear, what you say through your thought life. Now, most religions concentrate on regulating what you do with your body. If you think about the various religions, there's a very strong concentration on um, your behavior and your acts and what you do specifically with your body or through your body. And it's not that that the Word of God doesn't involve those things. But I want to challenge you to think with me today that, that one of the ways, maybe the most important way, that Christianity really is different and, and deviates from other religions is that Jesus focused almost his entire message or at least the, the bulk or the concentration of his message of salvation on what people think in their hearts. He didn't leave out what you do with your body, but he definitely put what you think in your mind and what you think in your heart before what you do with your body. An example is in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 through 20, where Jesus says, but the words that you speak come from your heart, and that's what defiles you. Now, the reason he says this is because the disciples have come to him, and of course, they're used to the the, uh, Jewish religion where there was a tremendous emphasis. And the biggest part of the emphasis of the Jewish religion was all on what you did with your body and um, where you could travel on certain days and uh, how you washed yourself. And it just was tedious ad nauseum. And so the disciples and and the Jewish people had come to Jesus, particularly the teachers of the law, they confronted Jesus, and they said, well, um, what if a guy eats and he doesn't wash his hands with the ceremonial washing that, that uh, we have prescribed as a religious rite for people if they're going to be righteous and in right standing with God? So Jesus, in his response, and I repeat, said, um, the words that you speak come out of your heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you, but eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. That statement angered the Jews who put all kinds of emphasis on external behaviors as the way to satisfy and to please God. And it made them angry because they could control people by setting those standards up about their behaviors and so forth. And, but Jesus really said it right. He said, let me tell you where you're defeated. Let me tell you where defilement takes place. It takes place in the deep thoughts of your heart, in what you think, and where your thoughts come from, from within yourself. So if you don't have God's view of life, you're not going to properly understand or properly respond to what's going on around you in life. Again, think of the metaphor of the sports game. Showing up on a football field in a soccer getup thinking that you're going to be chasing a little ball around and kicking it up and down the field. And you're going to have a hard time in life if that's what you think it is when it's really um, the American style football. So You need God's view of what life is. You need to let what the Word of God says about life if you're going to manage your life successfully. So when God refers to the helmet of salvation, He's in essence saying to you and I, salvation must cover your mind if it's going to affect your life. Let me say that again. Salvation must cover your mind Penetrate deeply. Transform your thoughts. Grab your heart and transform your entire worldview if it's going to have any effect on your life. We're talking about salvation. Jesus came to save that which was lost and he was in effect saying, my coming is only going to do good for people who take my word as the helmet of salvation and let their mind be changed by the Word of God. Can you say amen? So, you can't walk out your salvation simply by trying to look and act right if you're confused or wrong in your mind about life. And and if you think about it, and you may have been one of these Christians, and you may be actually going through things like this right now in your life. But, But think about it. People try to be a Christian by reading the do's and the don'ts, and then they try to comply and do those things. But if in their mind they don't know what the Word says, if God's Word is not living in their heart, if they cannot recall Bible verses, if they don't know what those verses say, and let me tell you, um, I hear people all the time making comments, and I, I have for years, about memorizing the Scripture. And it's almost oftentimes done in a negative way. Well, you can memorize all the verses you want to, but if you don't love others, and they'll say things like that. Well, listen, there's no way you're going to love others with agape until the word becomes real in you because that's where that love, you won't know how to love them. You won't know what love is. So our concepts must be framed by the word of God. You need to know what the word says. In your mind and in your heart, if you're going to successfully walk out your salvation, you cannot do it by going to church and watching other Christians and then saying, you know, I'm going to just, you know, trust and believe God and I'm going to cry out to him when I'm in trouble and turn to him for help and all of these things. If in your head you don't know what's going on around you, you don't understand life. So, Let's use this sports metaphor a little bit because there are two goals in the sports metaphor, two things we want to focus in on. Number one, understanding the game of life, what it is, as God says the game of life is. And number two, having the right equipment. So you need to be on the right field at the right game and you need to have the right equipment. Let's start with understanding the game of life. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul writes, For if because one man's trespass, speaking of Adam, one man's sin, one man's trespass, brought death and death reigned through that one man, and when he says that, think for a moment, Adam sinned, he died spiritually, and then passed on spiritual death to every successive generation Of mankind. So, through one man's sin, the entire race falls into sin and death is passed on generationally. Every one of your children were born into spiritual death. Every one of the children of Adam have been born into spiritual death. So, Paul is saying here if through one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more? will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? I want to share a couple of other verses. Keep that one in your mind. And I want to throw out a couple of these verses to you because these are God's word defining the game of life. That verse defines the game of life. One man, Adam's sin, produce death in the entire race. However, a second Adam comes, Jesus Christ, and through him the gift of righteousness and abundance of grace brings not death, but reigning and ruling, the very opposite of death. You reign in life through him, and much more abundantly. Romans 8, 17 says, if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God And fellow joint heirs with Christ. That is another description of the game of life. If we have been saved, we've been made children of God. And if we are children of God, then we are joint heirs with Jesus. We inherit what He inherits. If He made you a daughter, if He made you a son, then He has shared His inheritance with you. Whatever Jesus got, you get. Hallelujah. Final verse I want to share with you about defining and understanding the game of life is found in James chapter 4 and verse 2. James is talking to people who are constantly praying and wanting things, but their mind is not transformed with the Word of God. They have somewhere been to church and heard that, oh, you can ask God and He'll bless you and help you. But in their life, they get up every day and their mind is completely controlled By the world and what defines the world. Now they may be quote in the eyes of the world good people but they don't know the word and they don't live by the word. And so they have desires just like all people have and he's speaking to them and he says this. You desire and do not have so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel. Now notice James wrote that letter and it's got stuck in the Bible. He wrote that letter not to dudes in jail. He wrote that letter to the church. That was written to Christians. So so let me, with that in mind, this was written to Christians. Think, James says, you desire but don't have. Now Jesus said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them; you shall have them. Jesus also said in John, ask the Father in my name if... If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will, it will be done. So here's Jesus saying, ask and you will receive. But then here's James, few years into this thing, and he's writing to the believers. He says, well, you're desiring, you're asking, but you're not getting. And so because you're getting, you do naturally what is in your mind. You struggle and fight and you take the world's way to try to get the things that you want. You get upset, so you quarrel. And you even murder or you kill. And, and I'm sure we can use the metaphor of doing that verbally with our mouth as well as naturally. And then he finishes his sentence by saying, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, let me put all this together for you. The first verse says, Adam brought sin, but Jesus Christ came, brought us life so that we may reign in life through the abundance of grace the gift of righteousness. Then later in Romans 8, he says, if we are children of God, then we're joint heirs with Christ. We have inherited whatever position he has. If we have received his nature, it makes us sons and daughters, and therefore, being sons and daughters, we receive his position. And finally, James says, you don't have because you don't ask. Putting all these verses together, gives us opportunity to have God's worldview. Let me tell you what I mean by that. These verses show our relationship with God as being that of stewardship partners in life. Not chess pieces that the Almighty God is moving around Sovereignly, mysteriously, no matter what we do, no matter how we pray, no matter what what we uh, 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 um, do with our lives, God ultimately is just moving the pieces around the chessboard. And um, that is many people's worldview, uh, many Christian people, their worldview is it really ultimately does not matter a whole lot because the Lord is in charge of everything. And he's just moving us like, I said, chess pieces. However, the true view from the scriptures is that the Lord called us to reign in life. Now, if you're a pawn and you're just being moved around the board, that's not reigning. That's not reigning. Now, if you want authority with God, you want the privilege to pray, With that privilege, with that authority, comes the responsibility to manage your house, manage your life. Guess what? That means that what's going on in your house and your life is on you, not on God. Just let you take that in for a minute. (laughs) Now, of course, you know, I'm not speaking metaphorically, but you also you're probably not the only one in your house. So whatever's going on in your house has been brought down, not just by you, but by the other people that are in that house. We are a collective. We are a society. When we look at society, you can apply that. But the Christian has not been called to view prayer as just a religious exercise that makes God happy. But ultimately, whether you pray Or whether you don't pray, if it's His will to bless you, He's going to bless you. And if it's His will that you're going to go through the fire and be burned up, then you're going to go through the fire and be burned up, and it really doesn't matter. Praying is just a way to keep you in church. Now, nobody would ever really say that, but a lot of Christians in their heart believe it. They really don't think that they are partners with God. When they walk out onto that sports field, they don't understand the game. They don't understand that there's a team. If you want to win, you're interacting. They think the opposing army and the opposing team is their enemy. So when that ball is snapped and some guy's coming at them, they think their job is to kill the guy that's coming at them. They don't realize the goal is not to fight to the death with the guy that that is trying to stop the progress of the team. The it's to help that ball to get across the goal line. If you don't understand that, you're going to be constantly misunderstanding what's going on in the dynamics of the game. It's because of this misunderstanding and not understanding that God has called us to reign in life through Jesus Christ that makes a lot of Christians not want to pray. They don't see any value. They don't see the use in it. They say within themselves, well, I've prayed and it didn't come to pass. We're going to deal with that in a moment. But this is all about putting on the helmet of salvation. If you want to be victorious in life, you must put on the helmet of salvation. Your mind must be transformed by the Word of God. The other verse was that we are joint heirs with Christ. Now listen, If you are truly a joint heir with Christ, you're not just a sharer of His blessings, but you are a partner in His responsibilities. Amen. You are a partner in His responsibilities. With responsibility comes favor, comes blessing. And so God is not going to... um, lay heavy responsibilities and burdens on you without giving you the liberty and the freedom to ask and receive just as Jesus asked and received. And so this is why when we look out at the game of life, we see oftentimes horrendous tragedies going on. And we think, who's responsible for this? And ultimately the view is, well, God's letting this happen. But if we are joiners with Christ, aren't we letting it happen? And when I say we, I don't mean members of faith Christians. I mean we, the human race. The human race has opened the door for everything that has happened to us. I think about this with the recent conflict with the uh, shootings in the schools and everything. And I'm not trying to make a political statement. But I'm trying to make a statement about accurately understanding life. It breaks my heart that these students are being manipulated because you see these great efforts and all these kids rising up and demanding that the particular type of gun that was used to to slay these students be held responsible for their deaths and therefore be banned and destroyed. But they don't realize that in every one of these cases, it was one of them who killed their friends. And nobody's asking the questions, why are kids killing kids? Instead, they don't understand the game. So they're attacking the football or they're attacking the equipment rather than understanding what's going on in life. So when we think about God and His role in this game, maybe we need to take another look at the blood covenant and understand that if we want to see God move, we have to take seriously that we are in covenant with Him. If we don't pray, is God just going to override and overrule our prayerlessness and still just do what He wants to do anyway? I suppose that in the sense that He goes around your prayerlessness and finds someone else who will pray, that He gets done what He wants done. But I do know this, that The Bible makes absolutely clear that we are in blood covenant and partner relationship with Him. This is why heaven is always urging earth to pray. Not to keep us religious, but to keep God involved in the game. And so we have to understand the game, that we are partners with God and not just pawns. Again, uh, James said, you have not, not because God is capricious, Not because God is arbitrary, but because when it came right down to it, you didn't ask. Now, there's going to be objections that people say, well, I did ask. I'm glad you're thinking that thought. You should think that thought. Because many people object to what James said. They say, well, I ask all the time. I need a raise. I need some extra money. I need a new car. And And so God must be obviously opposed to me getting a new car. My car's falling apart. I can't afford to. It's costing more to keep it going than it would be to make payments on a new car. And so people, Christians, frustrated and angry, and they just simply decide, well, God, obviously, I've prayed, I've asked, nothing's happening. God does not want me to have a new car. And that may not be true at all. But those are the conclusions of people who do not know what prayer is, and they don't know the game of life. They really don't have the Word inside of them. So I'm going to take you to school a little bit. Hallelujah, when it comes to having the Word inside and acting on the Word because your Heavenly Father wants to answer real prayer. Okay, so you ready for this? Let's go on then to the next point. And that is, not only do you need to be in the right game understanding that game, how it works, you need to have the equipment. And God's Word is the most powerful piece of equipment in life right here. There's no piece of equipment more powerful in this world than what I'm holding in my hand, the Word of God. Hallelujah. The Bible says all kinds of things about what is produced by the Word of God. For example, in Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's Word brings wisdom. It lights our way. It illuminates The word is powerful. There's nothing else in life. The opinions of men do not light the path of people. They may direct people in a certain direction, but light is referring to the wisdom of God, understanding life as God reveals the true meaning of life and which way to go. Again in Psalm 119, verse 130 says, the unfolding of your words. I love that In King James it says the entrance of your words. But in in the original Hebrew it's broken down and I like this, I think it's the amplified version, says the unfolding or the unpacking. So you get something in the mail, you open the package, you unpack it, you unfold it, you lay it out, you examine it. It's not just getting it through the front door. It's not just sitting and listening to a message. But it's taking it and unpacking it and unfolding it in your own heart, on the table of your mind, so that your understanding is wrapping its arms around the concept. The unfolding of your words brings light, and it imparts understanding to the simple. So if you're dumb, if you're simple, because that's what simple means, I'm dumb. I, I uh, you know, I, uh, I used to wonder in my in my early years if I had some sort of brain damage. I think I even asked my wife a few times, or, or she may have accused me of it. I'm not sure, one or the other. But I used to wonder why the Italians call it cabodost. Thank you, Miss Catalano. Cabodost. thick-headed, and it's probably because. Uh, Probably because I'm Calabrese. So, at any rate, I used to think, you know, how come I can't change? How come I can't understand this? I have such a hard time grasping it. A lot of kids in school have that with math, for example. They just can't seem to get it. Um, So, the entrance of your words gives understanding to the simple. You can elevate the IQ, through the entrance, the unpacking of the Word of God. It can turn a, turn a simple person, a dummy, into a genius. One of the other things God's Word does, among many, I'll just mention one other, is that Romans ten seventeen says, so that faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ, the Gospel. So the Word of God produces faith. If you are one of these people that say, honestly, all of us should say, I have a hard time with faith. Well, that's not a problem. God's Word can produce faith in your heart. You could go from being a person that struggles with a lot of doubt and a hard time believing God to a person that absolutely has great faith, but it's not going to happen because you have a feeling of faith or want to believe. It's going to happen Because the Word of God, you have taken the time to break down your mind and your thinking according to God's Word. And illumination and understanding starts opening up. And then you can see why to believe God. Because the Lord has explained it to you. You get it. You understand it. When people understand the Word of God, it's easy to believe. They understand the love of God. When the love of God takes you to school, you know He loves you. It's one thing to say, I believe God is love and He loves the world. But the day, Layla, that we open up our heart and we say, I know He loves me. I know He loves me. That day, your IQ is going to jump several levels. Lots of things you, that we have a hard time with are going to all of a sudden take on A profound improvement. Hallelujah. So, if you're going to win in the game of life, 95% of it is mental. 95% of winning at life has nothing to do with the athleticism of your body, the sharpness of your mind, the position into which you were born the advantages afforded you by friends, or just good luck. And by, by the same token, being born in a bad place, under a bad sign, in the wrong world, uh, um, and all these things, they cannot keep you defeated if this up here gets a hold of the Word of God. No matter where you are, 95% of winning at the game of life Is all about mental, how you think. What captures the mind controls the life. And that is true. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Now listen to what that statement says. You will keep him in perfect peace. No comment about conditions. No comment about what country you're in, what your economic position is, or who likes you or who hates you. How smart or how much difficulty that, you know, one of the things that really uh, I, it distresses me because I see people literally straining at life because they don't understand is all this talk today about privilege. I have never heard a bigger crock of wasted energy and time than when I begin to hear a few years ago people talking about privilege, Christian privilege, white privilege, uh, uh, um, uh, economic privilege, and, and um, male privilege, and all of these other things. Let me tell you something. Those are all excuses drummed up by people who haven't figured out the game in life. Because everyone has privileges and everyone has disadvantages. There is no equality that the world, no equilibrium that life can produce. But there is a tremendous opportunity that Jesus Christ has given to each and every one of us through his word. And the reality is, God said, I will keep in perfect peace. I don't care what your economic, I don't care what your gender, I don't care what your social position, your race, your financial situation. Who loves you or who hates you? How many people are against you if you've only got two toes in one arm? Whatever those deficits, liabilities, or advantages may be in life, God said, I can keep you, raise you up and keep you in perfect peace. If your mind is stayed on me. Now the word stayed is an interesting word because it literally means to lean upon, to take hold of. So you see the Christian leaning their heart, their emotions, everything about them on the words of Jesus Christ. Hugging them, holding on. Like the, like the person caught out in a tornado holding on to that tree to keep from being blown away. God said, "I, you hug my word, get my word in you, I'll keep you from being blown away in life. I will keep you. I will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed upon me. So, so understanding, praying, and acting through the word of God is the most important thing that you can do in this life putting on the helmet of salvation is understanding, acting, and praying the Word of God. Now the Bible says about the Word of God, God's Word is alive. Romans 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrows of the bone and it can discern the very thoughts and intentions of your heart. In other words, like nothing else in life, no lecture from mama, no revelation from a Swami. The Word of God can go so deep into your soul, it can find the truth out about you. And I'll tell you, God's grace is wonderful because... He doesn't just grab you by the back of the neck in a kind of a painful claw-like grip and rub your face into the truth. He lovingly, if you're willing to take His Word, He will show you if you really want the truth, the Word of God will throw the light on what's going on inside as well as what's going on outside. Now, it's funny how people can always use this like a flashlight you know, with a flashlight, there's the cover and the handle and the, the light beams out the front. That's right. And they can always use it to like, Ha! 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 I see you. There you are. But they're hiding behind the flashlight. That's, people love to use the flashlight that way. But the flashlight is, 360 degrees, baby. Hallelujah. Right. The best thing you can do is get the Word in you. <laughs> right. Get it in you. Let it show you. Let the, You know, <clears throat> people that use the flashlight on others, if they used it on themselves, That's right. like they use it on others, they wouldn't use it on others. That's right. I'm, I'm just something to think about. So, the fact is, God's Word will figure you out. And it'll do it in a way that ultimately, in the end, will leave you built up and better off. You say, I don't want there to be any embarrassment or any pain. Well, then you better forget the Word of God, because there will be pain and there will be embarrassment. But wouldn't you rather be embarrassed and have pain in the presence of of your Father in Heaven who loves you than to be embarrassed and shamed in front of your enemies who are going to kill and ridicule you for it? Yeah. That's right. So the reality is, the Word of God is alive. It's alive and active. But there are many Christians who, who have said, well, you know what? I've been in church, I listened to the Word of God, and you know they, they don't understand putting on the helmet of salvation. Jesus talked to people like that. Uh, there was a whole group of them called the Pharisees, and he said, look to the scriptures, for in them you think that you have life. But they testify about me, however you will not come to me, so that you might be saved. So to be selective about the Bible and say, I only like to pick and cherry pick the parts that I like and I ignore the ones I don't like, ultimately you're hurting yourself. Rather than laying your life In the Word of God, asking the Holy Spirit as your teacher, take me. My whole life is yours. Walk me through this. Let me be conformed to the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and it's powerful. Hallelujah. And will transform your life. So when you take His Word into your heart, and what do I mean by that? I mean that you study it until it starts studying you. Some people study so that they can memorize the Bible. That's why the Scripture says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The person who uses the Word of God and it's dead to them and not alive has never really taken it internally. So when you take the Word of God and you learn it and you sit with the Word of God and you let it penetrate deep into your mind until it touches your emotions. When you read passages in the Gospels where Jesus is saying certain things to people and you sit down and you let him, instead of studying what he said to those people and finding it interesting, what is he saying to you in that verse? Think about your life and think about where you're at. Take the scriptures And read them as the Father's counsel to you. My Father is talking to me. Read the Scripture instead of this way. Read it this way, like a mirror. Because the Bible says when we look into the perfect law of liberty in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the end of chapter 3 and the end of chapter 4, the Bible says we look into the perfect law of liberty, we're seeing in the Word of God like a mirror the glory of Jesus, and we will be transformed into that glory from one higher degree of glory to the next. That's the person who allows the word, they memorize it, they learn it. Use the techniques. Have a journal. Write the scriptures out. I encourage you, handwrite them. One of the problems with just using devices all the time is people have lost the art of writing, You see, writing is not just important as a means of communication. Writing is a means of learning. When you write things out, your mind has to follow what you're writing and it helps to put it in you. I used to sometimes spend all night on a Saturday night up until the sun would rise and take a shower and come to church because I was writing out a final draft of the message I was going to teach. And I would painstakingly write out everything and fully write out all the verses on these tablets. I would use red ink for the Bible verses and black ink and I'd put it in nice block letters so I could read it. And I realized, by the way, at my house I have a file cabinet this big and full from top to bottom of my outlines that I've created and preached over the years. And it's not even, all of them can't even fit in there. And so Thousands of pens have given up their lives. (laughs) And I know that if you're an environmentalist, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to hate me, but I've killed many trees in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wrote those things out like I was writing the Magna Carta. Like it was going to be in the Hall of Congress one day, like the Constitution. And I'm the only set of eyes that have ever seen those, and it probably ever will. And when I die, they'll probably be all tossed out in the trash, and no one will ever see them. But that was never the purpose. The purpose was so that it could get into my heart, that I could think it as I was taking the time to write it out, as I could consider the Word of God. So, if you take God's Word into your heart, you let it penetrate your mind until it Touches your emotions and begins to move your will. You're not in the word until that happens. Let me say it again. You're not learning the word until it starts engaging your will. Until it starts touching your emotions. Then it goes from just the entrance of your word and it becomes the transforming of your life by the Word of God. In John chapter 6, Jesus said in verse 63, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, Jesus was, um, He was not Shakespeare using flowery language. He meant exactly what He said. The words I'm speaking to you, they are spirit. Spirit. Holy Spirit. And the words that are coming out of my mouth, they are life. They are the Zoe life of God in those words. That's why demons would flee because the force of Jesus' word was driving them away. Even Satan himself was driven off when Jesus quoted the word to him. He didn't wrestle. He didn't get into all kinds of you know, emotional gymnastics. He simply quoted the word and the devil fled because his words were spirit and life. Do you think everyone that ever quoted those verses Jesus quoted against Satan had the exact same effect? No. But that word coming out of Jesus' heart had come out of a heart where it was a reality. When you quote that same word and you haven't taken the time to get that word in you, it's not It doesn't mean the same thing to you. There's a shallowness. You're just throwing verses out. But when you take the time to let that scripture that you're going to quote have an impact on your, and now it's controlling the way you live, you are now speaking life. You're speaking out life because you're living what you're saying. Hallelujah. And the Holy Ghost is in those words. So when you take in the Word of God, it produces life, it produces miracles. 1 Peter 1.23 says, we are born again, not by in- corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God that lives and abides forever. So the true Word of God, as it enters the ground, remember the parable of the sower, sowing the seed out in the field beside the road, and the birds ate it up. All of those illustrations were all about people sitting and listening or reading the Word of God. And in three of those cases, they never really got the Word into their heart. They didn't take the time to weed the garden. They didn't take the time. You know, the Lord showed me one day, uh, you know, the Bible says, some seeds were thrown by the side of the road, and they didn't penetrate into the prepared ground. I always read that and I thought, that's the fault of the evangelist. That's the fault of the seed thrower. The person who was broadcasting those seeds, he obviously threw them indiscriminately upon people who don't care. He cast those words on people who are just off the center of the road. That is not true at all. Every one of those seeds could have produced a new birth. The fault of it being on the side of the road was the hearer. Not the one who spoke the word, but the person who heard. They were not open, so the seed just laid there on plain ground. It's the same with all of the others. Until that heart opened up, then that word did. So the words are spirit in life once you cooperate with them. It doesn't open up and become what it is until spirit meets spirit. Listen to me. Jesus said my words are spirit. So until that you get it down into your spirit, there's no connection. It's got to get down into your spirit. Then that word talks. Spirit to spirit. Are you listening to it? Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying? Um, hallelujah. <laughs> Whew, glory to God. So... When you take in the Word of God and you relate with it as the words of your father, it transforms you into a child of God. It makes you his son. It makes you his daughter. And when that happens, as you begin to daily allow yourself to to digest the Word of God, guess what's happening to you as you are becoming more and more like a child of God? It's changing your mind about things. It's changing your, what I opened up with, your worldview. Putting on the helmet of salvation is all about having God's worldview. It's all about letting the Word work in you until you are repositioned from where you stood before in dumbness and in ignorance and in error. Now you're in the truth, standing as a child of God. And guess what's happening? You are not desiring what you desired before. Your desires have shifted. Your behaviors have shifted. So listen to what Jesus said. In John 15, 7, he says to his disciples, not when he first called them. This is not something Jesus said three and a half years earlier when he first called Peter. This is at the Last Supper after they've walked with him three and a half years. His word has gone into them. These guys have been broken down. They've been rebuilt. They've been brought in to the word of God, hallelujah. And Jesus said, Now, if you live in me, vitally united to me, and my words remain in you and continue to live in your hearts, this is what he said if my words continue to live in your hearts, then whatever you want, whatever you will, whatever you desire, it shall be done for you. Do you know why that is? It's because you're going to ask out of a desire that has been transformed by the Word of God. You're not going to want anything other than what the Word says you should have. You're going to be bold to pray and to ask God for things that have been inspired by the Word of God. Your prayers are coming now out of a heart that is governed by the Word. You abide in Him. His words are living in you. Now when you pray, God is answering prayer and things are happening. Now listen to this. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish. Everyone say accomplish. It shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed. Everyone say succeed. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Jeremiah 1:12 says, I am watching over my word to Perform it. Everyone say perform. Perform. So God's word is associated with accomplishment, success, and performance. God's word produces accomplishment, success, and performance. Now, God never said he would perform and accomplish your opinions, your wants, your ideas, even holy ideas. There's only one thing that he will watch over to perform. What is it? His word. His word and nothing else. He will accomplish his word and nothing else. Only the word will succeed. Nothing else. Just because you're called, just because you're an apostle, just because you go to church and just because you tithe, don't think for one minute that God is going to make you succeed or accomplish what you do Because you are his favorite. You may be his favorite. My wife is his favorite. (laughs) But I can tell you something. Even though Kathy is Jesus' favorite, he will not accomplish for her, make her succeed, or perform for her one thing other than what his word is doing. He's not obligated to do anything other than His Word. Thank you, and He's not, why should He? Thank you. His Word created all things. Yes. His Word upholds the universe. Yes. By His Word, yes. Jesus came into the world. Yes. The Word of God is alive and active. Why should God deviate from the Word to do anything? Not. Everything you and I need is in the Word. So when you are arguing and rationalizing why you and your husband or why you and your wife have got troubles and you're not getting along and everything, let me tell you, don't waste another minute trying to get God into your argument, your ideas. You need to get on the Word, get in the Word, and if you don't fit, then get in that Word until you do fit. Conform yourself to the Word And you will have accomplishment. You will have success and you will see the performance. Hallelujah. God will watch over His Word to perform it. The helmet of salvation. God's Word is the will that will be done for you. Hallelujah. And the success that will come to you as you put it on. Can you say amen? All right, well, you know what? My time's run out, and that's good because I don't have anything else to say. So close your Bible. We're going to stand together. Um, I am uh, fairly certain that I didn't say anything this morning that was an, out, an outrageous or astounding new revelation. It's all pretty much basic stuff that if you've been saved for a long time, you've probably heard before. But sometimes we don't put it together in a way that just brings it home and and, cuts away the distraction and the nonsense. And it's always good when you can leave church and say, you know, I heard a message today that uh, really took something I've always known and it's just brought an alignment and an adjustment into my life. And and I can can go out and do this. So if you want to stand, put on the helmet of salvation because succeeding in the game of life is 95% mental. Hallelujah. And that begins with the Word of God. By your heads with me, let's pray. Father God, you created these brains as a tool, a muscle, as a processor. And in this world and in this life, all around us are activities every day that engage this processor this processor that feeds our heart, this processor that determines how open we will be to life or whether we will be dead as we go through life. Lord, we come before You believing today that You have given everything, the Holy Spirit, the love of Your heart for us through Your Son, Jesus to be our teacher, you have spoken your word, you have been careful to lay out before us every advantage through the Word of God. I pray today that hearts and minds will be convinced afresh and anew to spend time in the Word of God, to allow you to teach us about life. For there is nothing more important, Lord, that daily we sit at your feet and allow you to remind us of the truth of your word. Father, I pray for every mind and every heart that all attitudes will surrender to the lordship of Jesus by surrendering to your word. Give us wisdom, for your spirit will never give us anything but wisdom. Thank you, Lord. Guide and lead us. I pray, Father, finally, for a new and a powerful, fresh hunger for the Word of God. I pray that with new encouragement and new faith, we will get up and run after the Word of God, knowing that all the treasure, all the victory, the success, the accomplishment, that you are there waiting to perform that Word. We want to be more than conquerors. We want to be greatly successful in you. So Lord, Build that word, I pray, in us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Praise the Lord.